Thank you very much for reading. Do keep that open uh, in front of you as we start to look through this uh, together. And let me pray uh, and ask for God's help as we do so. Our Father, thank you for uh, these old uh, descriptions, in a sense very remote to us, in a different place and time, different people. And yet as we've been seeing through this book, uh, you are the same God then as you are now. And these, uh, these moments speak of your promises to us and the inheritance that you offer us. And so we ask in your kindness you would speak again and we would know your truth, your promises, your faithfulness. We would hear your voice together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're persevering through the book of Joshua. Uh, Let me tell you, some people cover the chapters that we've taken quite a few weeks over in one go. (laughs) Because there's lots of dividing up the land and it can feel a little bit, whoa, churning through more and more boundaries of the land. But I hope it's been helpful. And um, let me just remind you, or if you're new, tell you, uh, in seeing Joshua give uh, the people the promised land, what we've been saying is we're seeing a picture of God's great plan for the world. God's plan for the world is to live in a perfect place with his people in relationship with them. That's the big story of the Bible. God's people in God's place living in relationship with God. That is what was lost uh, when we turned against God. That's how he created the world. People living with him in a paradise. We turned away from him and that was lost. And his great plan is to restore that. And that is what is being pictured in God's people entering God's place, the land, where God will dwell with them and live with them. And so as we look back at that, we're seeing a picture of God's plan, not just for a bit of real estate in the Middle East. We're seeing God's plan for the whole world. And as we've looked through that, we've seen some of the dynamics as to how that happens and how people respond to God giving them the land. And we're seeing more of that today. And we're going to see two sides of a dynamic and think about how that gets resolved. The first side of the dynamic is God's desire to give. That's our first bit. God's desire to give. God wants to give people this inheritance. He's promised it to them. and It's summed up in that word, inheritance. You know, you, uh, I watched a film last night and it had loads of stuff about people uh, inheriting after someone had died. And it's all about what's in the inheritance. How did they write it? Who receives what? And obviously they wrote down what they wanted different people to receive. I want you to have this. Well, God's made promises. I want you to have this land. And that word inheritance, we said, is used, it's only used once in the first half of the book. It's used 48 times in the second half of the book. It's used 20 times in the two chapters we've got, chapters 18 and 19. God wants people to have this inheritance. It's used here, verse 2, about the seven Israelite towns who had not yet received their inheritance. 
And most of the chapters describe the boundaries of uh, the, the land they're going to get and the towns. And as we saw at the end of chapter 19, uh, we are told these are the territories that were assigned by Lot in the presence of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, this inheritance had been promised a long time ago. We saw with the, um, in the All Age slot with John um, the promise to Abraham. I'll bless you and I'll give you a land. Well, that promise came to Abraham. It came to Abraham's children. It was repeated. Now is the time to receive the inheritance, to unwrap the present, to move in. God wants to give it to them. He wants his people in his kingdom living in relationship with him. And we get a little picture of that just in the opening verses. The whole assembly, chapter 18, the whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. And that reference to the tent of meeting is is, is repeated. We'll see that more in a moment. That tent of meeting is, is a special tent. This is a tent that represents God's presence among them. So if you want to meet with God, you go to the tent, the tent of meeting. It's where you go and meet with him. It's where he is. If you walked around the Israelite camp and there were lots of different tents around, there's a special one. You're going to go, whose tent is that? Oh, that belongs to so-and-so and that belongs to Bob. And so. Whose is that tent? That's God's tent. That's where God is. When they were traveling in the desert and set up camp, the tent of meeting was right in the middle with all of the other tribes around it to picture God is living right in the middle of his people. And eventually this tent would become a permanent temple, a building in Jerusalem picturing God's presence. And this is one of the first pictures we get of the whole assembly gathering with God in the tent of meeting, gathering to meet with God. Now, just because that's there, let me just give a quick aside, okay? This isn't Joshua. Quick aside. Um, how does God meet with us today? We don't have a tent of meeting. Well, this is one of those things where you can trace through a theme all the way through the Bible, and that, that tent becomes the temple where God dwells. And then the temple gets fulfilled in Jesus who refers to himself as a temple saying, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again. And when he dies on the cross, says the temple will be destroyed because there's a new way of meeting God. It's through Jesus. And the language of Jesus as the temple in which we can meet God, have access to him. And then it moves on again to the to to the church, to people who believe in Jesus. And believers are called the temple because the Spirit lives in them. But actually, even more than that, the gathering of the church is called the temple. We are being built together, we read from the Apostle Paul, to be a temple in which God lives amongst us. So there's no special building today. To go and meet with God. We meet with God through the work of Jesus and by his spirit. But there is a special people and gathering. And that's what's happening right here. 
that we gather as his people, as his temple, and he is present with us. That makes this a very special time. Back to Joshua. That was just a quick aside. Uh, They're gathering here, and each tribe's going to get this bit of land. God is saying, I want you to have your inheritance. That's the first dynamic, God's desire to give. Second dynamic, our failure to take. We've already seen in the previous chapters some of the tribes move in to their promised allotment. They've taken the land. But along the way, we have noticed a few failures. Uh, We won't go back through all of them. Let me just remind you, we were told that Judah couldn't dislodge the Jebusites living in Jerusalem. We were told Ephraim couldn't dislodge the Canaanites living in Giza. We were told the the Manasites couldn't occupy certain towns. So there's been this kind of shadow cast. God's promised, they've moved in, but they failed to sort of take it fully. And that shadow grows. Verse 1, there is assembly, there's this assembly, and we're told that the whole country was under their control. They've, they've kind of won the war, they've conquered the land, but we're told, verse 2, there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. And so Joshua says to them, verse 3, how long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you? Now, that's a really important verse. There's a lot going on in it, actually, so I want you to think about it for a moment. Verse 3, look at it with your neighbor for a second. What strikes you or what do you think is particularly important in what Joshua is saying there? Have a look at verse 3 with your neighbor. You've just got a minute. Go for it. Okay, let's draw back together. Just wanted to get you thinking before I tell you things. Let's just hear hear any quick comments. What strikes you? What do you think is important? David? Yeah, the God of your ancestors has given it to you. Why emphasize that? 
are they not? Is it, is, you know, is it suggesting they're not worthy to be called people of God? Or I, I wonder if what's going on there is, is that the, you know, the promise was made to the ancestors that's been repeated all the way down. This is the God who's promised this all the way along, and yet you're not taking it yet. I think that may be what's going on. I think it's relevant. He says, God of ancestors. Thank you. And we've seen in Joshua, trusting and obeying are such key responses. Other things in verse 3, what's, what, what's significant or important? It's been given to them. See the end? The land has been given you. He's given it to you. Yep. Mary? Yeah, different translations. Here it's how long will you wait? Uh, Mary's saying that her translation is how long will you put it off? It has the idea of being sort of slack, kind of like not, you know, oh, another, no, another day. Um, Emma? Avoid. Well, that's what another translation says. How long will you avoid going in? Yep, Tim? Yeah, so um, Tim's saying back to Caleb and Joshua when they originally went in to spy out the land, 10 of those spies didn't trust they could get it. Remember, Joshua and Caleb were the minority, the two who said we can. We'll come back to them in a bit. So look, how long will you wait? Why aren't you getting on with it? It's like you're letting it slide. It's like me with... um with a job around the house that I don't particularly want to do. You know, there's currently a dripping tap. I hate taps. Taps are annoying. I do lots of DIY stuff. Taps are annoying, you know? And it's just like, and it's like Karis could say, how long will you put it off? And I'll say, as long as I can, <laughs> you know? Because I don't, but this is, but that, that's okay with a tap. This is receiving your inheritance. It's like the present sitting there with your name on it. How long are you going to wait until you open that present? Oh, I'll leave it for a bit. Well, don't, don't you think it's an, a significant present? Hasn't God promised it to your ancestors years? And haven't you now got the privilege of opening that present? Oh, I'll leave it. We're not told why. Is it back to the Caleb problem? We don't think we can do it. Is it that they've got comfortable how they are and where they are? Is it that they're fearful of what's involved? We're not told. I mean, we could speculate those things, but we're not told. But I do think we are told very clearly they are failing to take God's promised gift. One, um, one writer on this I found helpful uh, put it very well. He said... Are God's promises stimulants or sedatives? See, God's promised them the land. It's yours. It's got your name on it. Do they respond to that promise like a stimulant? Great, let's get it. Or do they respond like a sedative? Yeah, fine. It's all assured then. Sit back. 
The same dynamic applies in the Christian life today. And for example, at the beginning of um, the letter of 2 Peter, Peter says to people that God's given us his very great and precious promises. And the next line says, make every effort to add to your faith this, 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 and this, this. In other words, he's, he's given you the promises. He's given you everything you need. That should be a stimulant. So embrace the promises. Make the most of them. Grab them. Move forward on them. Rather than a sedative. Oh, nice promises. I can sit back. Promises are to be stimulants, not sedatives. But for them, they have sat back and failed despite God's desire to give. Well, what's happening? Well, actually, we come back to our first heading. Actually, what's happening is, although they've God desired to give it to them as their inheritance and they failed to take it, God still desires to give it. That's why this whole section is here, because Joshua comes up with a plan, because God still wants them to have it. Verse 4, appoint three men from each tribe. I'll send them out to make a survey of the land, to write a description of it according to the inheritance of each. They'll return to me. Divide the land into seven parts, and so on. There's a reminder here that the other tribes have inherited things. So verse um, 5, Judah and Joseph have already got their bit. Um, And we're told again about the Levites in verse 7, because their priestly service is their inheritance. And we're reminded about Gad and Reuben and Manasseh, who received their inheritance on the east side. So it's like they've all got theirs. But you guys need to get yours, so send them out, do a survey, uh, divide it up, and I'm going to cast lots. And there's lots of repetition here about that. Verse 6, you bring them here to me and I will cast lots for you in the presence of the Lord our God. Uh, Verse 8, halfway through, return to me and I will cast lots for you here at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. Uh, Verse 10, Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. Repetition is always to make a point. And the point is, in the presence of the Lord, he is still giving them the land. The lots are divided up in his presence. It's like, I mean, Joshua is the one pulling the names out of the hat. But the point is, it's like God is the one handing out the allotments. Here you are. This is what I want you to have. I still want you to have that one. God still desires to give. Then, verse 11 onwards, we get the actual allotments. Verse 11, the first lot came for the tribe of Benjamin, according to its clans. Their allotted territory lay between the tribes of Judah and Joseph, and then we get the boundaries and so on. So, can we jump to the map Paul and um, see that again. Here is a map we've shown you uh, before. So we've seen Judah in green at the bottom and we've seen Ephraim and uh, West Manasseh above it. Those are the ones we've seen in previous chapters. The guys on the far right, East Manasseh and Gad and Rim, we've seen them previously. And then the other seven, you see all have really quite small sections divided up. And just notice Simeon is actually in the shaded area at the bottom. Simeon's land is within Judah's land, which we'll come back to uh, in just a moment. Do we just leave that up for a moment, uh, Paul? 
There is something slightly odd about this whole thing. So this division of the land started back in chapter 14 when the first sections for Judah and Ephraim and others were handed out. But here, it's like they start all over again. And Joshua has to say, go and make a survey and decide how to divide it up. It also seems that these allotments are smaller, reduced versions of what they might have been. For example, Simeon is given land within Judah. Now, we're told told why if you uh, turn in chapter 19 to verse 9. It says the inheritance of the Simeonites was taken from the share of Judah because Judah's portion was more than they needed. So Judah's got spare capacity. So let's put the Simeonites in there. But I think the impression you get is, well, if they'd just divided it up and pressed on with it in the first place, Judah would have kept their original inheritance. It's only that they've taken longer and had to restart it. They've gone, oh, actually, we could, put, we could squeeze Simeon in there. Certainly, we know that these boundaries do not occupy all the lands that were originally promised to Abraham. Now, th- this isn't stated directly, but I think the impression we're given is they took less land than they would have done. And so we're back to our other dynamic, the failure to take. God had promised, they held back. God promised and kicked them into action again. And it's like they don't take all that they might have done. And that sense of failure, I think, is then drummed in right at the end with Dan. Dan, you'll see on the left-hand side, little orange bit, Dan, little slot in there. And yet, if we jump on in chapter 19 to verse 40, the seventh lot come out from the tribe of Dan, and then we get the territory included and so on. But then the author looks ahead because they know what's coming. Verse 47 When the territory of the Danites was lost to them, they went up and attacked Leshem, took it and put it to the sword and occupied it. They settled in Leshem and named it Dan after their ancestor. And Leshem is way up north somewhere. If we go back to the headings, um, Paul. You just think about the significance of that comment. God has been giving his inheritance. This is what he promised their ancestors. Now I'm giving it to you and I've promised I'll be with you so you can take it. And it's been worrying that some places haven't been taken. There are some pockets left. It's worrying, I think, that they haven't taken all that God would have given them. And now it is even more worrying that some of their territory is lost. They lose some of their inheritance. They go and take some other land, but they've lost the stuff God gave them. We read um, about that uh, loss and their moving and so on later on in the book of Judges. And we learn about the tribe of Dan, that they become a center for false religion. They're one of the places that a golden calf is set up later in Israel's history. 
When later Israelites would have read this division of the land stuff and they come to the book of, come to Dan, they'd have, they'd have known the story of Dan. And it's not a pretty story. And this is placed as the last of the tribes. I think to show that although God wants to give and does give, they fail to take. They fail to take all that was promised. They fail to occupy it all. They fail to keep it all. I don't know what your impression of the book of Joshua is. In one sense, if you know the book of Joshua, you can think of it as a very victorious book. Because they, they enter the land and they win battles. And they began out of the land, they end up in the land. They have occupied it. In that sense, it is a victorious book. There's lots that's positive. And, and here, it's, it is, as it were, more positive than not. But my point is, there is a big cloud hanging over it there are worrying signs of failure in a few weeks time in the closing chapters we will see Joshua charge the people saying stay loyal to God love him serve him and if you do you'll stay in the land and you'll continue in this kind of victory he's given you and he'll bless you but if you but if you don't trust him and obey him then actually you'll get kicked out of the land And they say, yes, we can. Yes, we will. And yet I think it's left a little bit, really? (laughs) But then the finishing of the land closes, the, the, the dividing of the land closes with Joshua himself. Verse 49. When they'd finished dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua, son of Nun, an inheritance among them. As the Lord had commanded, they gave him the town he asked for, Timnath Serah, uh, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he built up the town and settled there. Joshua seems to be promised this inheritance. Uh, He asks for this particular city in this hill country. He takes it. And he builds up the town and he settles. And this little section with Joshua acts then as a bookend with how the whole section started with Caleb. So he started with Caleb saying, God's promised me my inheritance. I will go and take it. Then we go through all the tribes and we finish with Joshua. The Lord's promised me this, commanded to give it to me, and he goes and takes it. We saw with Caleb that he was a model of like the the exemplary Israelite who trusted God, said we can do it, who went up and took the land. And the question we've seen on the way through is, is is are people going to be like Caleb? And we've seen some are, they have taken the land and yet it's been slightly worrying on the way through. And in many ways, finishing with Dan, it's got more and more worrying. And those two, of course, Caleb and Joshua, we've already mentioned, those two go together because they were the two spies who trusted God when they looked at the land in the first place and said, we can do it. So look, here's what we're going to think big scale. We've got a big story about dividing a land bracketed by these two guys, Caleb and Joshua, 
who are like the success stories, the trust God stories, and in the middle we have a story that's actually a little bit worrying. What does that teach us? I think it teaches a couple of things. Because characters like this, like Caleb and Joshua in the Bible, I think act two ways. I think they act as examples for us to follow. Be like Caleb. Be like Joshua. Trust God. Obey God. Grasp hold of all of his promises to you. Enter into them. They're examples. And we've, we've seen that on the way through, I trust. I hope we've been inspired to think about God's promises and to grasp them and enter into them and live for them and look for his final promise of inheritance in the new creation promised to us in Jesus and to press onto that knowing God will be faithful. So we should be inspired, encouraged by them. They are examples to us. And I hope that's been happening as we've looked at it together to be a church that is like that. But if that was all those sorts of examples were, if those guys like that are only ever examples, lots of stuff in the Old Testament just becomes be more like them, which could become try harder, be better. And actually the other way I think characters like that act, particularly when pictured like this, framed against failure, is they become people who point us to the Lord Jesus. They show us that the people who inherit God's promises are the faithful Israelites who truly trust God wholeheartedly. And actually we know we're not like that. And so for us to inherit God's promises, what we need is someone who is faithful on our behalf, who enters, as it were, who lives for God, who trusts him, who wins an inheritance, and who then shares it with others. And that is one way of describing Jesus. He trusts God completely. He lives for him totally. He then takes all our failures to do that on himself. We're told elsewhere that, Jesus, uh, that God says to him, Ask of me and I will give you the ends of the earth as your inheritance. And then we are also told that Jesus invites us to become co-heirs with him. To enter into all that he has won for us. He's been the successful faithful Israelite on our behalf even when we haven't. And now we need to respond to his promises. It's not that we sit back. We still grasp that and enter in, but we know he's done it all. So Joshua should inspire us. It gives us great examples to follow. It gives us warnings to avoid. But it should also humble us because it's a picture of people failing and actually we fail and it should then encourage us and comfort us because its big lesson is that we need a new Joshua to get into God's promised land 
and God has sent him, and his name is Jesus. God still desires to give. He wants to give his promises, his inheritance to you. He's done everything needed for that in Jesus. The only question is how we respond. Maybe you're thinking about this Christian faith thing. Please know how different it is to the way other religions tend to work. They always tend to say, do, do this, do that, be better, be nicer, be more religious, do, 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 and maybe you'll be good enough. Maybe you'll have done enough. And the message of the Bible is in Jesus, done. Done for you, done on your behalf, by him, done when you failed, and now it's offered to you as a gift. And if you have responded to that gift, let's be humbled by that, but let's be, let's, let's be so encouraged and celebrate that together. A moment's quiet, and I'll pray. Moment's quiet just to reflect. Father, thank you for your great desire to give to us, people like us, those who've pushed you away and turned against you, to give us a great inheritance, to include us in your plans, to live in your kingdom, in relationship with you. Thank you, that is your great uh, plan through history. That is what you are doing now. You are bringing your kingdom in and through Jesus, and we can enter it. And we thank you, you've done everything needed in Jesus. Thank you that he obeyed where we failed. He trusted where we doubted. He uh, was the one who walked with you wholeheartedly when we are so mixed and half-hearted. Thank you, he succeeded and he has done it all and invites us into his inheritance. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.